day we're going to talk about why God is holy. Yes, God is good. Yes, God wants to love us. Yes, God wants to get as close to us as possible. Last week, the illustration with the, uh, with, with the Garden of Eden, we understand that anything and everything that God made, what did he do? He put it in a place, and in that place, he gives it purpose, and its purpose is to stay there so that God can give it provision. Say it again. He creates a place. In that place, it has purpose, and because of its purpose, then God gives it provision. It has a place, then it has a purpose, and then it has provision. What that means is that where you are, where God planted you, the job, the family, the relationships that you're in, the mindset that you're in, that's the place God wants you. And since God has placed you in that family, since God has placed you in that situation, even if it's terrible and you can't stand it, you're still purposed to be there. God does not do anything without reason. We talked about that last week. Somebody say amen. amen. But then this is the really cool part. If you've been placed in a certain area, and if God has given you purpose, then that means that once you have purpose, God has to provide for you everything that you need to fulfill that purpose. But the problem is, is that we look to God as God the Father, and we sing it in a song, but we don't live it in our lives. So we sing certain songs, God is good, God is Father, God's a good provider, but we never actually give him the opportunity to provide. So I really want to make sure that you understand before we jump into the word today, God's holiness has nothing to do with you. God being holy has nothing to do with man. I'm already in my notes, but I, I, I need to get back. So, so let's jump into the word. Somebody scream, God is holy. First Peter 1, 14 through 16. Listen to this. Peter says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control, but all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Peter basically says, prepare your hearts because Jesus is coming. He's going to save you from your sins. Somebody clap once. That was it. Sin was taken care of. We don't need to talk about sin again. We don't need to talk about guilt and shame. When Jesus died, somebody say it was taken care of. What the devil, the enemy, Satan, who doesn't have any power, the way that he gets power is when you keep reminding God of what he brought you through. God does not need cliff notes on your addiction. He knows it. Okay? He sent Jesus to die for sin. When Jesus died on the cross, somebody clap your hands. Sin was taken care of that quick. It was a millisecond. When his blood was shed, somebody say sin was eradicated. Sin was eradicated. But we keep trying to remind God of the price that he paid, and he has the receipt. You ever talk to your kids about them bills? Them bills are a receipt. The reason why you got water, I'm sorry for all of you that believe in Santa Claus, but the reason you got trees underneath this here tree is because I got the somebody screaming receipt. So we're talking to God about receipts that he already paid for. And he's like, stop talking about sin and enjoy the prize. So we carry our sin, but we never have fullness of joy and salvation. Okay, let me move on. So you must, somebody say, live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living. Y'all need to talk to me this morning. Don't slip back into your of living to satisfy whose desires? When we slip back into this lifestyle that we had before we met Christ, it doesn't glorify God. Because once you were redeemed by Christ, the old you died. When you start to talk about sin and addiction, and I used to, and the guy that you used to sleep with, but you're not with him anymore because you've been redeemed. Can we get that real? You are now raising up the dead you and trying to live in salvation in a dead body. It's the equivalent of going back to the grave 
digging up somebody out of there and trying to breathe your life into them. But God is the only one that is the creator of life. Today, I want to give you permission to stop trying to resurrect pieces of you that died in seasons long ago. You used to have a whole crew of people. There were 16 of you deep, but now it's just you and your wife. That's okay. Everybody can't come to the house this weekend, but we always come over for Sunday dinner. But God's doing something. Somebody say different. But if we are Christians and we are the same person that we were when you bent your rusty, dusty knee in 1976, and you haven't changed in Christ in the past 50, 60 years, that's great. You know God. You're going to heaven. But there is some stuff you should have done in that 50 years in freedom. So I'm hoping that in today, when we understand and we unbox what holiness is, we can realize that when we say certain things, like there's nothing I could do to get away from the presence of God. That sounds nice, right? But God's presence can be scary if you don't know who he is. Is this making sense this morning? Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy whose desires? Mine. You didn't know any better then. But now you do. Someone say, now you do. But underline this in your heart and say it with your soul. But now, you must be holy. It's not a, it's not a question. It's, it's, it's not a thought process. Yes, there's grace for sin, but there's no grace for being unholy. Look at your neighbor and say, you have to be holy. But look why it says it. But now you must be holy in how much of what you do? Not Just a little bit. So that means that everything, sir, those of you that might be struggling like a lot of men do, all of us have to deal with the sexual thing in our soul, right? Like, you can't just have your computer be holy, but your iPad isn't. Do you, do you hear me? You, you see, so so you, you, you can't just have a fifth of scotch be holy, but them little joints you get for a dollar, like, it's, it's only a little bit. No, no, no. Somebody say, all of me has to be holy. But why? Just as God who chose you is what holy for the scriptures say you must be holy because who is i am i want you to write down this in your notes we aren't supposed to view the world from a distance but we're supposed to be in the world and live differently the point of your life isn't to get saved and then go wait it out in a bunker hoping for god to come back the reason why you get saved is to go into the stuff that people say christians shouldn't be and reflect the love of Jesus in that space. This is the reason why people that are redeemed need to go to AA. Okay. This is the reason why people that love Jesus need to go to the adult film industry. Okay. okay. Y'all too safe for me. This is the reason why when a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 12-year-old can walk in the mall or walk in Target and they get scooped up, the person that's managing the Target can see it and save that child before they're sold into slavery. Your job isn't to be a Christian to stay at the crib. Your job is to be a Christian to be in culture. Somebody say in culture. We're supposed to affect culture from within it. We don't stand on the outside and change it. But holiness has nothing to do with you. Somebody say holiness has nothing to do with you. So much of my life has been um, this genre of, like, contrast. Like, I don't know about you, but every summer when the, uh, uh, the Marvel movie comes out, it's always a stark reminder that I'm not where I want to be physically. Uh, I watched King T'Challa in, in Black Panther, and you're watching him, you know, the strength of the Black Panther has been stripped away. It's challenge day. Masa, right? Who, right, the whole thing. And every single scene reminds me that they don't look like me. 
Some of us watch things like The Voice or we watch those singing shows, right? And you love hearing the sound of somebody else's voice. But when you sing, you make sure it's in a three-by-three box called the shower so that nobody can hear you. So we live our lives in contrast. And the reason why we do that is because whatever you look at, you will begin to model after. Whatever you look at, whatever you keep your eye on, whatever the word of God says in Mark, whatever your heart is set on, that is who you will be. So growing up, we used to take this trip. Like back in the day, um, summers used to be four months long. Right? May, June, July, August, and then maybe in September, we we, we came back to, to school. So my parents would drop us off to see my grandparents. And if you don't know by now, we're country folk. Like, when we go back home, our phone don't work. We sit on the back porch and we shoot squirrels. Like, it's fun. You know what I'm saying? And we eat them. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Any country folk in the building? Ain't no chill in the building. That's what I'm talking about. My man's back there. Jevin said, no, not me. Mm -mm." But I began to, like, realize that church here in Omaha was different than church in the country. And as a kid, I was sitting in the seat, and I was beginning to do this contrast. I watched as women that said that they knew God were told what they could and could not wear in hopes of achieving holiness. They didn't wear makeup. I have aunties right now. I love you, auntie. I know we're coming home for Thanksgiving. Please don't do me when I come home, but I got to be honest. No makeup, no earrings, denim skirts all the way down to their ankles. Why? Because that is what Holiness looks like you can't play sports. Why? Because it's not holy, right? Because you can't wear pants and you can't wear shorts. So therefore, you can't go. But then the pastor and the leader of the church was at games every weekend with his grandkids. But he, ooh-wee, can we talk? Don't do that to me because you know I will sit on your lap. I'm opening up your mail. They would fast all day Friday and Saturday until the sun went down. Glory. Why? Because you couldn't put, you had to be consecrated for Sunday morning service. You walk into the church and you can't just get up and walk out. You have to do things in decency and in. So that meant, Mr. Damon, when you stood up, you couldn't stand all the way up. You had to have a humble hump in your back and you had to put that, can we talk? You had to put that Holy Ghost tip out. But then I would get back home after the service. And I was watching white people with tattoos on their faces and the glory of God was in the room. Okay. Uh, I was with friends of mine on the weekend that would curse you out because they loved the people that they were with. And I would go to church with them. And I was the darkest thing in the room. My my, my granny would say, fly in the buttermilk. And their music wasn't loud and crashing, and it wasn't super, like, super loud. And it was super small, and it was was very, very sweet. And this is what the music sounded like. God, you're worthy. And I felt the Holy Spirit. So then I started to contrast. So if holiness isn't based off of what you wear, then what is it based on? If holiness isn't based off of what you eat. Shrimp is delicious. Crawfish, I don't know what I would do without shellfish. So if that's a part of what God redeemed us from, then what I eat doesn't doesn't separate me from God anyway. Okay? 
So God didn't create anything on earth that I couldn't partake of. So then the question becomes, how do I achieve holiness? What is holiness? Why are we trying to be holy? You get, you get what I'm saying? I got a tattoo a couple years ago, and somebody told me that I shouldn't be willing to preach the word of God. And, you know, I'm younger, right? So, like, I have respect and honor for people. But, like, if you're talking crazy, you're talking crazy even if you're 90. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be respectful and honorable, but I'm going to make sure that you know. Like, it's, it's different now, Granny. It's different. It's different. But remember what I said before. Whatever your heart and your eyes are set on, that is who you will begin to turn into. And the church has been looking at the wrong definition of holiness. Holiness has nothing to do with what you wear. Holiness has nothing to do with how you walk. Holiness has everything to do with who God is. So I want to make sure that we unbox this thing this morning so that you realize that if you wake up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth and it doesn't suds up, that doesn't mean you're unholy. When you can't find your keys, that doesn't mean that God has left you. There are things that just happen in the earth, but it's not connected to who God is or who God wants to be to you. I'm talking good already. But now, sitting in this position, being 28 years old, I'm teaching a new generation of people like me that are just like, yeah, God's good. Let's jump off of a cliff. Yeah. But I have to honor an older group of people that don't understand the God that we know. We know the God that you were hoping to see back in the woods. But he's not just our God. Did you hear her? She said, mm. He's all of our God. God doesn't change in generation to generation. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. So I would love today to introduce you to what the true biblical definition of holiness is. If you wear shorts in church here, you're not going to hell. If you tat yourself up from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, regardless of what you put on your body, it doesn't matter to God. The question to God is, do you realize that everything that you're trying to do in pursuit of my holiness, you don't have to do any of it? Today, I'm going to teach you about how you should live your life in holiness and actually live in freedom. We can't go to Vegas. Devil lives there. Vegas is awesome. You mean you walk Bourbon Street when you go to New Orleans? Yes, I do. With your wife and a, and a virgin daiquiri. And we kid with the people that are drunk. Ah, this, ain't, this ain't no alcohol. Why? Because if the only place where I am able to be holy is in the church, I will live my life, living my life, holier than thou. And that's where we get the issue. When we start to believe that people are more holy than us based off of how they walk. But all of us are the same level of holy because it comes from somebody say God. So if holiness is not long dresses, no tattoos, no makeup, and no sports, what is holiness? There are people to this day that will not watch Disney because they think it's the devil. Lion King is dope. And if you haven't seen it on Broadway, you really haven't seen Lion King yet. Look at your neighbor and say, God is in everything. We aren't called to be like the people that we see. We're called to be like God. Point number one is somebody say God is holy. So let's understand this thing called holiness. Holiness basically is this concept of being cut away from, being set apart. Somebody say cut away. Cut away. Say set apart. set apart. 
in um, Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Being holy means that God is, he has three parts. I want you to write these down. It means that he's set apart, which means he's transcendent. He's morally pure. And then also somebody say he is unique. Isaiah 57, 15 says that the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. What does it say? I live in the high and the holy place. With those whose spirits are what? Contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with the repentant heart. What this means is that God is above us. Somebody say above us. Transcendent means that God was not created on the same level as us. There's God and then there's us. You cannot ever in your life be on the same level as God. You, you can't. And every time that you think you are, God switches the game. He'll even change the entire language of people to make sure that you can't understand each other. Because somebody say, God is high. God is set apart. The next is that God, somebody say, is morally pure. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Numbers 23 and 19 says that God is not a man. It's not says that he cannot lie. It says that he does not lie. Because why? He is not human. It's almost like the word is like really like trying to explain to us that we're, nothing, we're everything like God, but we're not him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when people tell you the lie that you're just like your daddy, you're like him, but you're not him. We do our best to like put personas on people because it let, makes us do less work. We categorize people so we don't have to have the hard conversations to figure out people's hearts. But God has the hard conversation with you here. He says, I'm not human. Therefore, I cannot lie. He does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Read this part with me. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? I want you to understand, since God is morally pure, you understand what that means? That means that he will never change. He's more stable than we are, and he cannot sin against us. He cannot lie against us, and he is more fit to lead us than we are to, fe- to lead ourselves. Your life is utter trash without having somebody bigger and better than you leading you. When you get into this place, this is the worst place for any Christian to be. When the only voice that's in your head is your conscience, you are dead. It's not a question of you need God. You, you need God. You need God so much that if you don't claim God, you will make a God for yourself. But I digress because that's point number four. Let me go back. Somebody say God is unique. God is set apart. He's transcendent. That means that he is cut away from the cloth. He is, he is morally pure, which means that he cannot lie. So when God says you can trust me with all of your burdens, he's not lying. Okay? The third part, somebody screams, say unique. Exodus 3.14 says, and God said unto Moses, what? I am that I am. What does that mean? That means that since God is unique, God was never created. He has no origin. He has no end. And he is like no other. And he doesn't need life because he is life. God doesn't exist. To say that something exists means that it has a beginning and end. He doesn't exist. Somebody say God is. So the person who you worship, who you give to, who you give your heart and your love and affection is perfect. He's better than us. He's, 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 he's sitting throne. He's, he's transcendent. But he's not so far away from us that he doesn't want to do relationship with us. I'm going to say this again because it rocked some of you last week. Jesus didn't die because he loved you. 
Jesus died because he was following the assignment of to get us back to God. It wasn't so Jesus loved the world. It was for God so loved the world. Now, I know that some of you guys in the room are like, well, Jesus doesn't love me. Yeah, Jesus loves you. But the whole point of him dying on the cross wasn't just to save you from sin. It was to get you back to the creator so that you could worship him. Remember what we talked about last week? The word of God in Colossians says that everything under the sun was created for him by him. Which means that your life wasn't created to exalt yourself and to have 2.5 kids and the white pink effects like, like and have $3 million. The reason why you live is to give glory to God. That's the only reason why you breathe. That's the only reason why you walk. That's why when Peter says it in his word that you must be holy, he says you must be holy in everything you do. Sunday is not the holiest day of the week. You've been lied to. The holiest day of the week is the one that you wake up and you have breath in your lungs. Somebody say, every day is holy. Holiness doesn't revolve around the room. Holiness goes with you. But we can build these amazing mausoleums and giant organizations and churches that are great, lying to people, telling them the only place that they can be holy is in the church. If you're only holy here, that means that your family is not getting the true you. They're getting a representative. And we're not interested here at AWC with sending you as a representative into the world. We want when your boss sees you that they see the glory of God. That your family sees the glory of God. That when you take your wife on a date, which you haven't, if you haven't done it, that's fine. But even if it's two Oreos and spoiled milk, whatever it is, everything that you do is holy. Holy isn't something that you achieve. Holy is something that you witness through God. These things should produce joy in all of us on the inside because God rules over us and he's nothing like us. I want to I drive this point home. The reason why you see all of the terrible stuff that happens in the world is because man thinks that we can rule man. Okay? We've already done what? We've, we've already set apart that God is set apart. He's lofty. He's high. He's better than us. He can't lie. So that means that of the seven point whatever billion people on earth, there's only one person in existence that has enough to rule over us. This is the reason why you need to do the smart thing to elect who your official is, but your allegiance is to God. Because man is unholy. Our hearts are soft. You can go into something with the right heart posture. You vote for somebody, and then six years later, you're like, who is, who is this? We said that we wanted to keep the beaten and battered women's shelter, not put a, a highway through it. Because people's hearts change. But guess what? God's heart never changes. So when God spoke that word to your granny in 1945 about your family being financially free, that word didn't change even though you lost your car. When God told you that you were going to be a husband or a wife and you've been dating and it's not working out, that doesn't mean that God's heart towards you being a husband or wife has changed. But if we don't know the character of God, we will see things in the world that his hand is not on and we'll judge him by what we see. God did not send a hurricane to the south part of the United States killing people to prove how mighty he is. He's better than that. God would more likely have cotton candy come from the, from the sky just to prove how good he is. God does not take life to prove that he is life. 
I, w- I want to make sure you understand this, right? Like, do, do, do you see what I'm saying? So when people say these silly things at funerals and it really kills me, Damon, they're like, well, I guess God needed another uh, lily in, in his garden. No, God created you for earth. This is the reason why when you, why am I stuck? This is the reason why when you walk into a certain place and you see things that are wrong, how many of you, your heart goes like this and you want to change it? Because you have power. Somebody scream on earth. Since God is above us, beyond us, there's a level of being that we have to be in order to be in relationship with him. Since he is morally pure, he can't lie. Since he's set apart, he's transcendent, he's above us. And since he's unique, there's nobody like him. We cannot just show up to God any kind of way. God will take me as I am. No, he won't. That's a lie. Only God can judge me. Only God. That's true. That, that's, that's true. That's true. But the question is, which version of you do you want God to judge? I'm trying to help you understand God. Because as I'm teaching this, I'm getting shivers up my spine. Because there are areas where Josh is unholy in his life right now that I have to get right with God. So the question is, what version of yourself do you want God to judge? Because when you walk in holiness, God doesn't judge you. He judges himself on you. I never want God to look at me and see me. Okay. All right. I want God to look at me and see him. So holiness is not something to play with. Holiness is not watching scary movies. They're like, I'm not going to the haunted house because God's not there. If I'm there, God's there. I'm not going to that concert. Concert. They have they have cuss words. Really, we got saved by the blood of Jesus to be afraid of curse words. We're that we're that weak as a rate as, as. Oh wow! Did you see her in church today? She had her shoulders out. Oh my God! God didn't make shoulders. Oh man! Oh, 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 oh! oh. She has a tattoo. Oh, she's no. Oh, he's gonna get you. No. God is not that silly. God is not that dumb. God is not stupid. Somebody say, God is holy. You don't want God to see you when he sees you. You hope that God sees him. Somebody say self. Exodus 19, 1 through 2. Point number two, I want you to write this down. In order to approach God, we must first become different. Yes, Jesus saves you. But by the grace of God, God sent Jesus before we met him. Because if we would have met God without Jesus, we wouldn't be able to exist. The word of God says that there is a cherubim. Cherub, uh, cherubim. It's, it's, it's a group of angels whose faces are covered. Because to look at God, he's so holy that it would be the end of you. It'd be over with. Somebody say it'd be over with. And they sing this song. In some cases, it's love, love, love. In other cases, it's mighty, mighty, mighty. But the word of God that we understand, it says that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And that's all they're singing. Because God always wants to be reminded of how good he is from the people that he created. Angels are worshiping him all the time as a placeholder for you to worship him with your life. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. I got to move on. Exodus 19, 1 through 2. Exactly two months. How many, how many months? After the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of, somebody say Sinai. After breaking down camp in Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. God calls Moses to remind the people of how he delivered them out of Egypt into the freedom in the desert. We, we understand that uh, Moses is in, uh, is, is in Egypt. He is like the second in command, right, uh, behind his brother. Uh, he sees a man beating an Israelite. He doesn't understand why he's frustrated, but he's frustrated. What does he do? He kills that man. Then he becomes ashamed, and then he does what? He runs into the desert. Runs into the desert. God changes his heart posture, sends him back to Egypt, and God uses Moses to do what? Free the people, right? Which basically means that anything in your life that you think you're unworthy to, use, to be used by God, it's not, it's not biblical because God used this whole book is God using people that were worse than you, so you're okay. Even if you're watching right now in, in the prison or the jail right now and you're watching by some way because you have an iPad because some people do and you're serving a life sentence, that, God can still use you, okay? Like your life isn't over because you got a life sentence. God's, God is so good and so bad that he can take your life sentence, turn that thing around, and you lead the people that put you in there back to Christ. He's that good. Okay, small sermon for you, bro, or sis, whoever's watching. I don't know if, I don't know if you are or not, but I want to make sure you hear it. God sends Moses back. He delivers the people, sets them free. They run away from Pharaoh, and now they're in freedom, but they're in the desert. Sometimes freedom doesn't look like what it's supposed to. Sometimes freedom doesn't look like 85 degrees, white sandy beaches, and crashing waves. Sometimes freedom is in the middle of a hurricane. The point of freedom isn't your surroundings. The point of freedom is that you don't have anybody above you. You're not chained to anything. Okay, does that make sense? So now what Moses does is he gathers all of the people and he tells them what God says to them. God tells Moses to tell the people, hey, I want to come see my people. I want to come meet them. I couldn't meet them in Egypt because there were too many spectators. There's some things in your life that God's going to do for you and nobody's going to see it. And you have to be okay with it. You got to be okay with knowing the crazy thing that God said to you and celebrate somebody else that's got what you're looking for and not be prideful when they get it. And not tell them, well, God told me the same thing. We, you know that and God knows that. Look at your neighbor and say, that's enough. Everybody doesn't need to know what God did for you. That's okay, because it hasn't done yet. It has, he's not done. Somebody say, he's not done. Yes, indeed, that was for you. He goes back to God to deliver the response from the people. He says, he says, God wants to meet you. He goes to the people, and the people say this. This is what they say. They say, we will do everything the Lord says. Exodus 19 and 9 says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud. Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Somebody say consecrate. Consecrate, consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. But sh be sure they are ready in the third day. For on the day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Underline this in your heart. Mark off a boundary. Somebody say a boundary. God loves you so much that he keeps you from him when you're not holy. Okay, okay. So, so God can give you purpose. God can tell you what it is. But if you're unholy, purpose won't work because God cannot have our dirty hands and dirty lives touch what he's given us that is clean. 
I want to make sure you understand, this is not a conversation of sin. This is a conversation of not being separated from the person that has all life. Do you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't care about sin. What he cares about is being as close to you as possible, and sin makes that impossible. Does that make sense? If that makes sense, clap once. Okay. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Appreciate you. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly what? Be put to death. No hand may touch the person or the animal that crosses the boundary. God basically tells them that somebody's supposed to come bring an animal and have a burnt uh, a sacrifice. Remember, Jesus has not died yet, so the veil has not been torn, which means that there are certain things you have to do at this point in time in ritual to get next to God. I want to give you a really short sermon. We don't have to do this anymore. Because of God's blood and his grace, you get to skip the outer courts, the inner courts, go through the Holy of Holies and sit in God's lap. I want to, I'm trying to help you, Ken. I'm trying to help you. This is why voodoo doesn't work because you have to sacrifice an animal. A ram's set of blood cells are not holy to get you to God. Jesus didn't have a blood type. He was the blood type. Do you, like, do you, he wasn't O positive, B negative. Jesus was, I am that I. So everything that you're reading in here is not what you're supposed to do. You cannot walk up straight enough and be holy. You can't walk clean enough or eat clean enough to be holy. This is not right. Somebody say, this isn't right. No hand may touch the person or the animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, do what? Stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a loud, bla a loud blast, then the people may do what? Go up on the mountain. If the people touch the mountain, their unholiness would have had them fall dead. But Pastor Joshua, you said last sermon that God is good. He is. But he's so good, if there's any evil in you when you approach him, his good has to eradicate your evil. So this is the reason why when you approach God, you have to be just as unique as he is. You do not go as you are. You never do that. I go to my granny's house in, in shorts, flip-flops, uh, what, sweatpants, and a hoodie. And not to say that my granny isn't important, but when I'm going to a meeting that's behind some money, when I go into a room and I want the person to hear me, I go get a haircut. So you're changing who you are because you want them to listen to you? Most definitely. But we don't do that with God. We just show up any kind of way and then we get frustrated when he doesn't want to see us. There are certain people in this city that if you have a meeting with them and you dress out of order, even if it's just you and them at Starbucks, they will not see you. Why? Because the way in which you look tells them how you prepared for the meeting with them. The reason why you need to show up to church early, the reason why you need to be singing hallelujah all throughout the week is so that when you get here, God recognizes your voice when you get here. When God gives his word, I don't want him questioning if he remembers who I am. I can't afford not to go to church on Sunday. You will never find me at home watching church when I'm able to get to the building. Why? 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 
Because I want to make sure that every time that God calls for a meeting with Joshua, Joshua is prepared. You don't just show up to God any kind of way. You show up in your best because it proves to him that I actually put value on our time. Young lady, every time you go on a date, the seat is dirty. He didn't prepare for you. It's easy to make reservations. It's harder to keep his car clean when you're there. He's telling you something. He does not prepare for you before. When he texted you, let's go to dinner, he made the reservations after he texted you. I know I'm messing up your game. Come on, bro. No, do better. Tell her you want to take her out on Friday on Sunday. Hey, Friday, be ready at 6 o'clock. I'm going to pick you up. Clean your car on Tuesday. Take a shower every day. Brush your teeth. Floss your teeth so that when you show up, she doesn't see Joshua. She sees a husband. Do you? Like, am I making this point clear? I don't want God looking at me with crusts in my eyes and crusts in my mouth. And, like, I just showed up. Like, all right, God, I'm here to worship you. No, we are worshiping. Somebody say a king. And the way that you worship a king is how you approach him. And somebody said, you must be different. The Holy Spirit is all over this message this morning. So you must be different. The Lord said to Moses, I will come into the, to, to the cloud, um, uh, the thick cloud. He consecrates the people. God's holiness keeps the people from him because he loves them. But then look at this. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, Thunder roared. Wait a minute. Hold on. You said God wants to meet us. You said he was going to come down in, in a cloud. You didn't say nothing about thunder. I want you to hear this. Moses, you said he was going to come down. You said it was going to be a pretty cute. You remember how you used to draw the clouds when you were a kid? But how many of you guys know that clouds don't look like this? Sometimes clouds are dark. And some clouds come with thunder because of lightning. Okay, let me, let, let me read it, because let me read it. Thunder roared, lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. Sometimes when you see God, he doesn't come in the same form that he told you he was going to come in. I'm coming in a wind, and you think it's going to be like Pocahontas. But God comes to you in a hurricane. This isn't God. He said he was coming in wind. He didn't say what kind of wind. Like, do you feel what I'm trying to say? There was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn, and all the people, someone say all the people, trembled. Moses led them out from the camp. Remember, he, they're prepared. They've been consecrated. They got on their best clothes. Ain't nobody touching the mountain. They're like, hey, Jeff, don't touch the mountain. I'm going to have to hit you upside the head with this rock. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot. Yeah, you said that in verse 17. Cool. I'm going to bag back 50 feet. I'm cool. All right. Everybody's cool. Everybody, somebody, everybody say, everybody's cool. Now listen to this. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. You said something about clouds, but there was no smoke before. So now they think because what they see is different than what he said that it's not God. Sometimes what God tells you and what you see are vastly different, but look at your neighbor and say, God is good. It's not God is good, then God is holy. When we taught that first sermon, God is still good. He's good all the way through. But now somebody say God is holy. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord had described on it in the form of 
fire. Now we got clouds, thunder, lightning, fire, and smoke. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, like a volcano. God is so awesome that he turns Mount Sinai into a volcano. There are no volcanoes in Egypt. God is so holy that he turns things that are not into the things that he wants. Just because he wants it. God is so good that he turned a mountain into a volcano, not to impress the people, but to prove to them, like, you can't, you can't match me. Like, why would you try? I'm God. I'm holy. Like, I, I turn water into bread. Like, if, the, if I say that the sky is purple, it has to turn purple because I cannot lie. Why wouldn't you obey me? Why wouldn't you obey me? You just see what I just did with this mountain? And guess what? Look at your neighbor and say, he's not done. And the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and somebody said, God replied. God replied through thunder. But since the people, they only consecrated themselves, but they didn't get attuned to his voice. In January, we're going to go through this time of fasting and praying. Fasting and praying is what you do to consecrate yourself. You do it to say, somebody say, set apart. You set yourself apart to get close to God. But if you do not tune your ear to God's voice in the fasting and praying, all you did was go keto for 30 days. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we start looking at the fasting and prayer time of January as a time to get our macros right and not get close to God, we've missed it. The reason why you consecrate and fast isn't to hear God say something new to you. It's to be expectant of him to repeat himself saying the same things over and over. Fasting and praying doesn't get us close to God. It allows God to get close to Y'all see the smoke? It's dope, isn't it? God thundered his reply. I'm about to take off running. I'm so sorry. The Lord came down. Somebody say on top of the mountain. And called Moses to the top of the mountain. So what does Moses do? Moses climbs the mountain. I want to show you something. They come to a mountain. The day before, it was beautiful. Blue skies, white clouds that you could color in with Crayola. God says, I'm coming to see my people. And I'm coming to them in a great mighty wind. I sound like T.D. Jakes, don't I? I love it. Get ready, get ready, get ready. That's what he says. He says, get ready, right? He's like, okay. Once they, they were okay with hearing somebody tell them God was speaking. I'm trying to help you out. They were okay coming Sunday to Sunday to Moses saying, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Cool, that's what God said, I'm gonna do it. What, is, what does God say, Moses? God says this, okay, Moses, I'm gonna do it. But then they want absolutely no smoke with God, literally. It goes from, I'm okay with hearing what God has to say about me through a man. But because I don't know who God is, I see who he is in the thunder, the lightning, the mountain, and the rain, and the wind, and, the, and all of that. And because I don't know him, I go from having fear of the Lord to being afraid of him. 
Don't be afraid of a God that you should fear. So now you got all these people standing there in front of a mountain. Moses is talking to God. God comes in this, in, literally in this storm. And now because they don't recognize this as a blessing, they miss God. There are so many different things in your life, my life, and everybody's life. We thought God wasn't with us, but we didn't recognize him when he was there. God, where are you? Where are you? And God's like, I'm the storm. God, I'm in a storm. God, I can't. There's wind and rain. There's smoke. Like, there's fire. And God's like, I am the fire. I am the fire. I, I, I am the smoke. I am the wind. I am the rain. But the only reason why you're afraid of it is because you don't know me. Somebody say, you don't know me. Exodus 20, 18 through 21, says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of, somebody say lightning, and somebody say the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with what? Fear. They go from being in front of what God wants to do with them and being a part of it, to becoming afraid of who God is, stepping away from it, and now they're just witnessing it. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being in a season of witnessing what God is doing in other people's lives because they know him. It, it makes me upset. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate with you. So glad that you had the baby. I am truly in my heart. So glad that you bought the house. That's so dope. So glad that you're getting married. But every time somebody else got married, it proved to me that I just need to make a decision to marry my wife. A lot of the issues in your life aren't God, you waiting on God. It's God waiting on you. So they're standing at the foot of the mountain and they're thinking that a God that loves them wants to kill them. But God has never dumbed down himself to approach anybody. God is not shy of his holiness that he would come in lightning in a bottle to prove how mighty he is. He says, if I'm going to prove how mighty I am, I'm going to do it like this. This is the version, Jason, of when people say that they're afraid of success. I want to know God. I want to be in relationship with him, but I don't want to get wet. Because once you're in God's presence, his holiness takes over everything. So now, they are afraid of a God they should fear. Somebody say it. They are afraid of a God they should fear. Say it again. They are afraid of a God they should fear. God desires that you fear him, but he doesn't want you to be afraid of him. Exodus 20 says that when they see all of this, they become afraid. But verse 19 says, and they said to Moses, remember what they said before. They said, whatever God wants to do, we're going to do it, right? They go from that, and now they're in fear. And they say, and they said to Moses, once they see all this, hey, bro, uh, you, 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 <clears throat> you, 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 you speak for, or you speak for us, dog. Before, they were okay with coming to God, but now they're afraid of him. So now they need somebody to stand in between them and God. I do not have the power to stand between you and God. I know you've heard it. I know your last pastor might have said it, the last church that you were at, but I am not holier than thou. 
The same God that wants to get close to you and you are sometimes afraid of. There's some stuff in Joshua's life, not PJ's life, not associate pastor's life. No, 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 Joshua the man. There's some stuff in my life that my wife wants that terrifies me. And it would be easy to put somebody in between me and God to make me comfortable. But I want you to write this down. God works in the uncomfortable. That's like, that's where... That's where he does it all. The minute you get uncomfortable, that's where he's at. When they're overworking you, when you look at your boss and you're ready to, ooh, Jim, ooh, you almost got all black of me, bro. I put some on my black in the glove compartment when I get out of the car, but as soon as I leave work, it's Rough Riders, I put my do-rag on, I might pull out a black and mild, I don't light it though, because I gave up smoking, I just gotta get in, you know. And as I'm leaving the parking lot, it's ooh, ooh, ooh. Why? Because sometimes if you got all of me, it would offend you. But God wants you to get all of him and it not scare you. Like, yeah, I want to be good to you, but I also want to be holy. And I also want to be the judge of your life. I also want to be the king of your life. But I also want to be a good father. But I also want to be a rock in the middle of everything. And I also want to be an anchor that holds you close. And I'm not all of these things one at a time. Somebody say I'm all of them. I'm all of them. I'm not just good to you when you're good to me. You want to know proof? You were in sin in the first part before you knew me, and I was still good. So listen, church, if we can harness this ability to see God in the areas where people are scared, we can begin to somebody write it down and say, run to the storm. So now that you're a kingdom ambassador and you're a kingdom citizen, you've been saved by grace and you have salvation, but now you know God, now, Jason, now, Kent, now, Patrick, you start running to situations that look like a hurricane. Hey, did you hear there was a twister? Where was, where, was, where, was, where was that? Because now I start to connect disaster with who God is. And there's supposed to be a hurricane on the East Coast. And now I'm looking for God because if you fight through the storm hard enough, you'll always find the eye and you'll be in the middle of what is destructive in the presence of God. Somebody say hallelujah. Is this good? Moses says, don't be afraid. For God has come in this way to do what? To test you. And so that, somebody say this out loud, your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Can you please cut the, the sound? I, I want to make sure you get this. Fear of God calls you to be obedient, not fear of sin. I'm trying to make this basic. We're not afraid of sin. We're born into sin. Somebody do this. Say it's all on you. Every day, you, you sinful, you dirty right now. You are, it is, it is what it is. But I took a shower, I see you bro, but you still, you stink. It's, it's sin. We don't fear sin, we fear God. So I don't sin because I'm afraid of sin. I don't sin because I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm not close to God. Have you ever been in a season where you're not close to God? And this is the thing. People think that just coming to church fixes it. No. <laughs> coming to church is a part of it. But look at your neighbor and say, you got to look at your neighbor. Say, you got to know God for yourself. This is a relationship thing. Come to church and think it's fire insurance. Pfft, what? No. 
You come to church to learn more about God so that you can practice your relationship with God. Somebody say outside of here. You don't practice dating somebody on the date. Hey, bro, let me put you up on game. One of y'all might be dating over there. Practice what you're going to say to her before you see her. It cuts down on the stuttering. So that way when you're with her, you can sound like you know what you're talking about. This is the reason why you should practice your prayers. Because when God is in my presence, I don't want to be stuttering on things that he's sure about. When you start talking about the 7,000 square foot house, you should do it standing straight up. Some prayers you need to kneel. But some prayers you need to stand up and say, God, it's 7,000 square feet. It's sitting on two and a half acres. And it has six and a half acres behind that we will pay for in 10 to 15 years. Once my third son becomes 20 years old, I will give him an acre and a half. With a house that's already built on top of it. In Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. Once you know God, your prayers change. It's not God save me from sin. God, you know what? That Bentley was actually mighty sexy. And it's not about getting the stuff. Sometimes God wants to bless you with stuff to flex how good he is. Because if you do it right, when you're walking people through the house, you can say, look what God did. When you were on your deathbed with cancer and God heals you, it, yes, you needed to go and take your pills. We understand we don't go against medicine. We, we got it. But we got people here in this room that were actually delivered from stage four cancer. And yes, they went through all of the medical stuff, but they were praying the entire time. I'm sorry, sister, such and such. Like, this isn't your time to walk him down the hallway. And she said, get your hands off of me. It's my meeting with God. I can't wait to get old. I'm going to get your hands off of me. I'm, I'm praying. Papa, it's time to go to bed. I'll go to bed when I feel like it. <laughs> get out my face and leave me alone. <laughs> Is it okay we have fun in church? And they said to Moses, hey, bro, don't let God speak to us. Um, if he talks directly to us, somebody say we will die. Moses says, don't be afraid. But God is coming this way, somebody say to test you. How can we introduce people to a God we're afraid of? How can you say that God is good, but every time you're with your people, they never experience him? How can you say that God is omnipresent? He's all over the place. But you, like, when they're with you, they don't feel peace. They, when they're with you, they, they don't feel joy. Like, the point of why you need to be holy is because if somebody doesn't know God and they see this, this will terrify them. This is why you have to be holy, so that you can introduce them to a God that doesn't want to make them scared, but wants to love them. The people become afraid of God when they should fear him. Being afraid is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that something is dangerous or that it may cause harm to you. They're afraid of him. They think, Pastor Joshua taught last week that he's good, but today he's trying to kill us. I'm afraid of him now. How many of y'all have ever got whooped by your parents? And you're like, this man really trying to kill me. You think that you should be afraid of him, but they are in fear of who you will turn out to be if they don't do what they need to do. God is the same way. God's cool. We can sing these songs. You're a good, good father. Perfect in all of your ways. But God wants to make sure you know, like, I am God, though. Like, don't, don't, don't. I lead you by the calm waters, but I am the storm. Somebody say, I am the one who knocks. 
Afraid is an unpleasant emotion that you think somebody is going to cause you harm. But this is what fearing is. I want you to write this down. Somebody say, fear God. Fearing God is beholding the holiness of something, and that produces awe and splendor. Holiness and being fearful go hand in hand. When you see it in the word and people say, I fear the Lord, it's this thing of God is so beautiful. He's so holy. He's so majestic that in some places when I'm with him, I can't do anything. I just look at him. How many of you are married to a good man? You ever caught him just looking at you? And y'all always cap. Oh, my God, stop looking at me. You like it. Damon said a little bit different. He said, yes, you do. Because the way that you look at her leads to other things that show how much you love her. The way you look at God. Have you ever thought about it? When you see God's presence... Do you always come to him asking him for something? Or do you ever see God and just... I ain't going to clap. I ain't got nothing. To, it's just... My wife was cleaning the house yesterday, Patrick. And I was sitting there. I ain't watched a snap of football all year. And I was sitting there and I just watched her clean. And you know what I said to God? God, how good are you that you love me this much? You love me this much to give me hurt? God, you know who I was before I married her. Okay, y'all two say. Like, you, you, you knew Joshua's dirty. Like, you, she shouldn't be married to me. I'm not good enough for her. But because I decided to get my life holy before I married her, when she saw me, she didn't see me. She saw you. The way you practice looking at something will prove how you will practice living like it. There's some stuff we can't look at because our heart will be pulled to be, somebody say, like it. We don't want to be afraid of God. We want to fear him. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Moses and the people have two very differing understandings of the word fear. The people are afraid, and they back away. Moses fears God, and he steps in. So now what they're afraid, and they're watching away from, Moses goes up the mountain, and he's standing in the middle of what people think is chaos. This came to me from the Holy Spirit. Some of the times what you think is God's camouflage is you being in the middle of what to people looks like a storm, but to you it's paradise. He camouflages you by making it look like, yeah, I don't want to touch that person. They're untouchable. But on the inside of you and your family's life, you and your four are no more. It's popping. Y'all in that thing like this. And people think that your building is underwater. But God wants to deter the enemy from being able to find you. Somebody say number four. Number four. Somebody say holiness is achieved through obedience. Exodus 32 and 1. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. Because remember, when we look at the word of God, it says that Moses was in God's presence for how long? It wasn't very long. But to the people, they're like, bro, when is bro coming back? That's the reason why your personal worship time, you shouldn't put it on a timer. Because you'll enter into just saying how good God is, being in awe of him at 6 o'clock in the morning, blink, and it's 11.45, and you missed your train to get to work. 
Because when you step into God's presence, things like time, sickness, frustration, anxiety, and depression, somebody say it doesn't live there. It can't live there. So the best place for you to be is in God's presence. God's presence isn't something that you visit. God's presence is something that you live in. I don't leave God's presence. I take that thing. Hey, where are we going? I don't care how awkward it looks to you. I need this to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you only experience God's presence in worship, you're not living your life in true holiness. Don't throw on your favorite song after doing what you know you shouldn't have been doing and be like, God is here. He was there when you were doing what you were doing. So it's not about where you do it or who you do it with. Somebody say God is everywhere. All the time. Exodus 32, it says, people saw how long it was taking for him to come down. They come to Aaron, who was Moses' right-hand man, and they say, hey, bro, come on, man. Let's make up some gods who can lead us. Since we're afraid of him, let's make something for ourselves to worship. Because you have to worship something. We are worshiping beings. We were built to worship. So if you're not worshiping God, look at your neighbor and say, you're worshiping something. Or someone. Even if it's yourself. That's what pride is. Pride is not this, like, <laughs> dark angel on your shoulder. No, pride is, look at you. Say, you, I'm pride. Oh, you don't want to say it. Okay, it's okay. You know it, though. It's all right. Uh, he says, let's make ourselves some idols. Aaron doesn't just instruct them on how to make the idols. But guess what? He helps them do it. So, verse 3, they take the golden jewelry from all of the people in the camp and they melt it down into a calf. Verse 5 of, of Exodus 32, um, when they see the calf, the people bow down to it and they say, Oh, Israel, uh, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They tell a God that they made that they are doing, that the, that the God they made did what God did for them. When you buy the car, it's dope, it's awesome, it's a V8, cool. You got six jobs. That's great. You're providing for your family. But do you worship your jobs? Do you worship the money? Because the money can become your God. And now you can say, because I have this money, I'm able to do X, Y, and Z. But don't forget, God is the one that gave you the power to get the job. Look at your neighbor and say, don't forget who God is and how he helps you. This is my man. Isn't he cute? Sis, sis you were ratchet in that last season. You, it was not you. Oh, you, oh y'all want to play church. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Verse 6 says, they have a festival after they create this. They start eating and drinking. They do burnt offerings, and, and they have peace offerings. God's problem with your sin isn't that it's wrong. His problem with sin is that you try to get from your idols what you can only get from him. He doesn't care about sin. The problem is, is that he believes that you love Hennessy more than you love him. Getting, being drunk is not the problem. Okay, 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 like, okay. You, you, you being confused or trying to figure out your sexual orientation is not the problem. The problem is that you don't believe that, your God, that, that God built your body for him, not for your own pleasure. So we get it mixed up as Christians. Every single issue that you see in the world as sin is not the problem. The problem is that we are building up idols and we're telling this golden calf, thank you for bringing me into the wilderness. But we don't worship what God gave us. Somebody said we worship the man that gave it to us. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. 
Your people whom you brought from the land of Israel have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who you brought to us to bring us out of the land of Egypt. Moses hears God's frustration and fear, and he begins to beg God. If you've read this story, God says, I'm going to wipe them out. And, God, and Moses says, hold up, bro. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you can't kill them because there ain't no more Israelites. This is it. Like, there, there are no more of us. You can't kill these because you're going to have to start all over. And the people are going to see it. It's not going to be bad. So, so God says, all right, I won't kill them. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. I want to make sure you understand what holiness is. Holiness is not how you worship God. Holiness is not how you walk. Holiness is not what you eat. Holiness is not what you love. What you eat, what you love, what you worship, how you obey is a sign, not that you're good, but that God is holy. But now I know you're asking, like, well, if he called us to be holy and Peter, and you're saying that God is holy, and you're saying we can't be holy, that's kind of confusing. What are we supposed to do? First, Peter makes it very, very clear. He says, you should be holy because I am holy. So the question is, somebody scream, how? How? 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is how you become holy. Yes, you need to be obedient. Yes, you need to, uh, you know, follow the Ten Commandments, because that's what Moses comes down the mountain with afterwards. Any of y'all, it's going to come on on Christmas. It's like a set, it's like a two-hour movie that they stretch out for seven. It's like the five heartbeats for Christians. Um, five heartbeats is an hour and 30 minute movie. Baby boy is only an hour and 15 minutes, but it feels like that movie's like seven hours. I walk in the kitchen sometimes, I'm like, has Snoop Dogg came in the house yet? He hasn't? Okay, cool. I'm like, yeah, you're like six commercials away from that, right? Like it's, it, but in the movie, it's, it, he, he comes down with the, the, the commandments and that's where the movie ends. But that's actually where their life began. Because now God says, I'm trying to have a relationship with you where I don't have to write down our rules of engagement. But now since you don't want to be close to me, I have to tell you how to worship me. God doesn't want to put rules on your life of how to be with him. You think God really wants to have to tell you not to do certain things? Do you really think that God wants to have to tell me or any man in here that what we, what our flesh wants physically from somebody else that's not our wife or the person that we're with, you think he wants to have to tell you to not do those things? No. All God wants is to be as close to you as possible, but he's holy. Sin makes us unholy, but this is how you get holy. Somebody clap once. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And write this down, or underline this. And what? And the Lord, who is the Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're three different people, but they're the same God. So the God that saves you, the God that redeemed you, and the God that will love you are all the same. They're just in three different ways. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, what does he do? Makes us more and more like him. As we are changed into his glorious image. Holiness is impossible without God. Holiness is not contingent on what you eat. Holiness is not contingent on how you dress. 
Holiness doesn't, it, it has, if we were to say that a tattoo will send you to hell, that means that you say that God's blood is just like hand sanitizer, 99.1% strong. And the other 0.99% is all the stuff that he missed. No, when God died, he said, it is finished, which means that anything and everything up until that point that would separate you from you and God was what? It was taken care of, which means that now you cannot be like God unless God helps you. This changes your prayers from God, I want to be holy to an old song that we used to sing all the way back in the old church. I don't know if I know you remember this, this one, uh, Minister Crawford, is God, I just want to be more like you. The question doesn't become, God, I don't want to sin anymore. The question is you start to ask God, like, God, how would you work, walk in this situation? There are some of us in the room, and, I, and I've had to deal with this, where I stopped praying to God about stuff that I was walking into. I stopped soliciting the Holy Spirit before I walked in. Like I prayed to God the night before, and then I've got all my notes together, like my notes are going to make me <laughs> cool or whatever. And then I'm at the door, and then I forget to say, hey, God, I know I got plans, but make me like you. So, yes, you need to live a life that's clean. Yes, we need to uphold the, 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 the commandments. But in order for us to be like a person that is set apart, a person that's higher and better than us, and a person that is unique, the only way that you can be like God is by asking God. The whole Bible is a whole bunch of different stories of people trying to be like God without asking him what to do. Any moms in the room? How many of you like your house to be clean? Keep your hand up if you like your house to be clean a certain way. You like the lines to go up and down, not left to right. The room isn't less clean. It just doesn't look how you would like it. In our lives, when we try to live, thank you, Holy Spirit. When we try to live our lives outside of sin, when we try to live our lives and we try to do all these things to get God's glory, God is saying, none of that gets my glory. The only way you get my holiness is coming to me. So there's some people in the room, you've really been trying to bend over backwards, trying not to upset God. Like you're trying not to do your addiction because you, you don't, I, want, I don't want God to smite me. I, I, don't, I don't want God to be upset with me, so like I'm not going to do that. And you're afraid of him. But God is somebody to say holy. Which means that he cannot hurt you. To say that somebody won't hurt you means that they have it in them to hurt you at some point in time. But no, I want to make sure you understand something. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God can't hurt you. God cannot lie to you. God, God is holy. And in the same way that we're talking about it today, I think that there might be some people in the room that you're actually in the sermon series being introduced to the God that he wanted you to meet. Not the God that you were taught. God is good. Yeah, he's good. But before we start talking about God as purpose and, and before we, you know, give you a basketball in your hand to play or before we give you a pen to write books, you got to understand who you're doing it for. It's a God who, who you're going to do this for. It has to be done correctly. 